welcome to the B-Side. It's a spin-off podcast of the Film Stage Show for the Film Stage website. And today, we're avenging. We're avenging talking about boring, not cool films that aren't the Avengers. MCU forever, baby. I'm kind of kidding, but not fully kidding, because we are talking about the people, the actors, the movie stars who are in the Avengers movies, specifically the original Avengers. Um, and we're going to keep it simple today. We're going to talk about a B-side film from each of the original Avengers. And today you just got me, Dan Mecca, and Connor O'Donnell, host and producer, mano y mano, doing this thing remote, which is fun. I'm in Pittsburgh. He's in New York. And we're talking about, who are we talking about? We're talking about so the you know the main the main uh, the main six right? Robert Downey uh, Jr. Correct. Christopher Evans, Scar Joe. That's her legal yep. name. Uh, who else? Chris Hemsworth, Jeremy Renner, and who's the other guy? Uh, Mark Ruffalo. Ma, the rough, of course. Yeah, I yeah mean, of course. You know. um, so yeah, I mean, this will be kind of a special one. We're gonna do this as a little bit of a two-parter. Um, so this, you know, this top half, we're going to take you through, uh, RDJ and Evans and, uh, Scarlett Johansson. And then, uh, next week after we've seen Endgame, we'll finish it off with, uh, Ruffalo, Renner and Hemsworth. Um, and then, you know, we'll do, uh, you know, we'll do our little, what would we like to see them do next, uh, in the context of, I guess, whether or not they make it through, uh, <laughs> through Endgame. So we'll see. Now let's just quickly do this ahead of us seeing Endgame. Obviously, if you're listening, you very well may have seen Endgame already. Um, it's most likely out uh, already if you're listening to this. Um, here's my... Let's just talk about it for a couple minutes. The MCU in general, okay? 22 movies. Um, Endgame is the 22nd. Uh, it all started... We all know this. Uh, it all started in 2008 with John Favreau's Iron Man. Uh, you know, the official career resurrection of Robert Downey Jr., though the man, you know, was kind of years in the making of that resurrection with things like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and meeting his wife, uh, Susan Downey, on Gothica. And even the uh, the B-side we're going to start with uh, also kind of helping in his slow resurgence that then hit the fast track with Iron Man in 2008 and really dictated the tone basically of these 22 movies and marked Robert Downey Jr. as to this day, the biggest movie star of the last decade. I mean, I would say without question. I would. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's an interesting qualifier because obviously like a majority of them have been, uh, you know, MCU movies, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, you can't re- you in this really age. It. Yeah. Well, but in this age, we keep talking about where there really aren't movie stars. I, I don't, I think he represent he he represents what a, a movie star of today looks like. I mean, he sure, owns sure. this yeah. huge franchise. He basically represents the quote unquote adult half of the Disney brand, right? So yeah, you kind of can't really compete with that when you talk about kind of that type of thing. Where do you? I mean, with the MCU movies, for me, it's kind of simple. I think I tweeted this recently. For me, it's basically Captain America, First Avenger, and Iron Man 3, and then kind of everything else. I do like the original Avengers. That's grown on me over time. Um, I do like Ragnarok. I do like Black Panther. 
Um, where do you stand? How do you feel? Are you? I feel I like we're kind say, of in agreement. Yeah, we're sort of in the same ballpark. I mean, I think depending on what I would probably say, Iron Man three is 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 the best one. Uh, while Captain America: The First Avenger might be my favorite. Right. Right. Because I love I love what Iron Man three does. You know, in in the grander context of the MCU. Um, especially, you know, and, and all the ones, right? Like, so then, because then I would say there's Black Panther and then Ragnarok and then the first Avengers movie at number five, I think, is how I would rank the top five. I think, and, you know, Iron Man 3 in the context and mostly all those movies, maybe outside of uh, outside of the first Avengers movie, um, I think they're all up there for me because they're the ones that feel most like they were actually touched by the people who directed them, right? Like, yeah, I was gonna say I think the nadirs for me are mostly the team ups that really don't work for me. So, Civil War is one I really could never get behind, it. and we actually saw that in in the theater together, and that was yeah. we walked out of that, and I I really I couldn't help myself with my dislike of it basically because it felt like there were no real stakes in the movie and when the movie ended aside from slight character shifts in terms of allegiance and whatnot basically we were nowhere we weren't at the beginning and even the central fight the centerpiece at you know one of one of many now airport located airport hangar located fighting centerpieces uh in Atlanta in the MCU that one they literally reference during the fight that they're all basically given 80%. Is this part of the plan? Well, my plan was go easy on them. You want to switch it up? Which I can't even begin to tell you how aggravating it was for me. To basically you're basically watching in a film, in a fictional film, you're watching people hedging and we're meant to yeah, be entertained. Yeah, it's like I mean, you're watching I can't, a scrimmage. I couldn't, I couldn't get it's over like, it. I couldn't get over it. I still can't get I, over it. Yeah, it's that one's. I, I, and I don't know. There are some people who stand that movie, which is fine. I mean, I don't know. I, no, I mean with this stuff, I've come to a place where, like, if it's your poison, just pick it. No, and, and we've talked about this. You know? This look, no ill will towards the MCU aside from I suppose the kind what it represents in the larger context of film in 2019, which is to say. Sure. A certain homogenization, you know, on the big screen, that's a little hard to swallow. Uh, you know, that being said, as their own things, I mean, look, this is a 22-episode first season. So right. this f- season finale is going to be, I'm sure, I, you know, I would be lying if I said I wasn't a little excited to see how it ended. I mean, I'm engaged by these movies, you know, at least narratively, and you know, and I think you know, people like Downey Jr. alone definitely add so much to it. Um, who's your favorite uh, of these original six when you think about the movies? Uh, so that's interesting, though, because I would I would have said... Edward Norton? <laughs> right, exactly. Okay, yeah, no. Yeah, I, w- yeah, I was going to say Edward Norton. Uh, no, I probably would have said either maybe Evans or Robert Downey Jr. Just because I love the first Avenger so much. And, you know, the, his most of his turns as, uh, as Iron Man have been, you know, obviously great. Um, but I I think by now, and I think I came around to it on uh, Infinity War, I think what Hemsworth has done with Thor is kind of a miracle. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, he goes from being, I think, just like kind of funny in the fish out of water of the first Thor, but I think going like full bore comedy with it. Um, and because Hemsworth is like a very funny actor, he is. So I think his his I, his brief role in Vacation, uh, the the Vacation remake is is weirdly underrated. That movie kind of didn't get any traction, so that's part of it. But he plays like a Texan. You know, basically like a an American West, you know, South stereotype, and uh, crushes it, crushes it in that movie. Yeah, he's um, and even you know, in in, in Ghostbusters, oh right, I think Go- he, yeah, the, true, yeah, awesome, uh, yeah. Ghostbusters answer the call. Uh, I think he is. <laughs> Ghostbusters live, die, repeat. I think he's probably one of the best parts of that movie. Um, so I would, yeah, I'd probably say Thor. I think of the of the original six. Yeah. I like, I like, I've come to like Ruffalo a lot too. Yeah, Ruffalo's up there for me. I mean, only even as much as the actor. I don't have much. I've never had much time for Hulk. If I'm being right. completely honest, I will say yeah. this. This is outside the MCU. Superhero movies that have grown on me. Ang Lee's Hulk has grown on me over time. Is gr- is great. Is great. I, uh, I rewatched has, it like a couple months ago. Yeah, so did I. As had, as has, pardon me, um, Alan Taylor's Thor The Dark World, which I really didn't like when I first saw it. But that movie, I would always kind of reference as a low point. And to be honest, um, upon a rewatch, a rewatch or two, and I can thank you know, part of this, I can thank to Blank Check, uh, you know, podcast David Sims and uh, Griffin Newman. It is more fun, playful, and just pretty, like well filmed than I remember. So hmm. that is something I would tacitly recommend, just in yeah, terms I'll of if you're it. I you know, if you're into that world or something. I think Captain Marvel was a bummer for me. I, I was just I was just relatively bored by that movie, and I really love those filmmakers, and it just felt like so much of it was previs or you know you, you watch it and you go how much did they really have to do with some of these scenes and whatnot and obviously some of that's conjecture but i think some of it's not i think kevin feige obviously brilliant though he is i mean he deserves all the credit in the world for these 22 movies and kind of how they've dominated our our film culture uh you know but that being said the standard issue of it all in the captain marvel film hurts it uh, i would say so you have a little bit of that um and yeah i mean i think that's what you're dealing with i think if you love them hey great you know i'm happy that these exist you know to be entertaining it's just one of those things in a world where valerian doesn't make any money it just makes me a little sad because i see valerian and i'm like i want five more of those you know, and then yeah. we, we get twenty two of MCU. So right, it's it's just I think the like you said the kind of like the general sameness is the thing that I think gets me the most. Like, and I've talked about this before on the pod, but like, you know, this isn't every MCU MCU movie, but like, there's a certain degree of them. It's like just a movie that looks like nothing. I just like for instance, a lot of people, a lot of people go to bat hard for Winter Soldier. And I just feel I can't help but feel like just that that's vi- like so insanely incorrect. Like, yeah, that movie. I, I get tend to agree with you. Like I think it, I think it, but, it opens strong and then kind of yeah. settles into its own, you know, settles into the world it's representing in a way that's just 
it's a disappointment, I think, ultimately. Yeah. And though I love Robert Redford, um, the credit he's given for what is, I think, truly a you mean just showing up. Yeah, I mean, he, he, up, a lot but... of credit just for a performance that feels very just baseline. You know, he's a legend. It's like the but... credit. It, it's like the credit that Tommy Lee Jones gets for First Avenger, where it's like, oh yeah, he's so funny, and he is funny, but like. Tommy Lee Jones literally yeah. showed up and was like, I'm now, grumpy and this is all true, done. That's true, but like, Tommy Lee Jones, I think, gets away with it a bit more. Like Redford- Well, because of the character. Yeah, yeah Redford, yeah. that um, you know, that character is required to do a lot more than, the, the, I suppose, than the Tommy Lee Jones character. And maybe that's where they split in terms of kind of um, the success rate. But yeah, I just, you run into things like that too. Well, they'll, they'll get a great, you know, they'll get a great- um, you know, piece of casting, and it will feel a little wasted in the in the in the world, and and that hurts. Sam, I, you know, truly, I think you know the the secret MVP of the whole thing is Sam Jackson. I mean, that guy, oh, he's amazing. Yeah, you know, um, is a is just an uh, just a national treasure, and I just think he's great in Captain Marvel. Yeah, no, he look, he's yeah. great. He's always great. Yeah, his I mean, chemistry he is like great. The, yeah, Brie Larson, Sam Jackson. I almost wish I could like pluck that duo out and like put them in another movie because like yes, I and they've been in. They have been in you know a few movies together already. They've been in Kong Skull, Skull Island. They've been in Unicorn Store, which is Brie Larson's directorial debut, and they've been in you know Captain Marvel, and then I would assume Endgame. Uh, you know, uh, assuming right. our boy uh, comes back from the whatever dust or the, whatever the, the ashes. The um, dust. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about some of these people's weirder movies. Um, so yeah, so we're start I mean, us we're off. basically yeah we're basically just going to take this in chronological order, um, just because obviously, like we said, it's a mixed bag. So um, we're going to start in 03. and as you mentioned, this movie kind of is I think the beginning, the germination of like the Downey Jr. comeback. So this is we're going to do Robert Downey Jr. We're doing the Singing Detective. Yes, sir. Um, and then we're going to follow it up with uh, Chris Evans. We're going to do 2004's The Perfect Score, which also has Scarlett Johansson, a little twofer. And then we're going to follow that up with another twofer uh, with uh, Scarlett Johansson's The Nanny Diaries from 07. Of these three, um, I generally think singing, singing Detective is pretty good. I had seen it many years ago. Um, but I, I only just recently rewatched it. I forgot a lot about it. Um, it's not, you know, amazing, but it definitely is like a, an interesting movie. And then I think perfect score and nanny diaries are, are pretty much terrible. But, um, <laughs> what, what are you, what are your thoughts? No. So, I mean, let's put a little context to the singing detective. You mentioned it in your intro. Um, so Robert Downey Jr. This has been well covered, but why not go through it again? Um, <laughs> I'll mention what, what did he possibly I'll, do that I'll, was controversial. I'll mention this um, in prepping for this. I did rewatch, um, and I think on my letterbox, I'm actually going to put that it's a first time watch because what that was. This is one of those movies when I was watching it, I was like, I don't actually know that I've seen this whole thing. Uh, a movie called Restoration from 1995, directed. I by, love Restoration. Yeah, directed by Michael Hoffman, who's an underrated director, who's had a lot of weird things happen in his filmography life, which. We won't even get into, but he's had movies that haven't been released, and he made a movie where Kevin Spacey plays Gore Vidal that'll probably never come out. Like, stuff like right. that in his yeah. life, which is just strange. Anyway, Restoration, 1995. It's a period piece. It takes place in the 1660s in England during the Restoration period, right after Oliver Cromwell's um, you know, failed rebellion. And um, 
or a 10 year rebellion, whatever. And, and it's basically Downey Jr. is the lead and he's like slutting it up in this insane movie as like a doctor who becomes the King's, you know, right hand man of sorts and make Ryan's in it. And, you know, she's horrible. Yeah. I, I like the movie. I wanted, I always wanted to defend Meg, but yeah, it's hard. That's yeah. a hard one to defend. And um, a lot of people in the movie, I I say this only to say this, Robert Downey Jr. You may not fully appreciate the you who is listening has gotten so many chances, like and really represents what a lot of talent and and being a white male <laughs> will allow in Hollywood. Because I mean, look, the guy is a master, and. In the 80s, he came up. He came up young. He's in a lot of movies, movies like Tough Turf and uh, a mil- I mean, a million movies. Like we've mentioned a few of them, uh, you know, over the years. Um, and then in 87, it really hits big. He's in movies like Less Than Zero and The Pickup Artist, and he becomes kind of a cool leading man, like proto Johnny Depp style, kind of bad boyish, right? What have you. And by the early '90s, he's a little bit more studio friendly. He's in, you know, he's in things like Chances Are. He's in things like Air America, where he meets Mel Gibson, which we'll get back to soon, and they become good friends. The least controversial person yeah, in the history of Hollywood. Exactly. Yeah. He, but look to Robert Downey Jr. and we'll get back, we'll get to this in a minute. A, you know, a true friend. Um, yeah. And movies like Heart and Souls, which I love. Um, uh, He's in one now. It's going to totally escape me with Marissa Tomei that I also really like where uh, it's basically in Venice. It's a rom-com. Um, I'll look it up uh, when we start talking about Singing Detective. But he was a movie star and really being given the shot, got nominated for an Oscar at a young age for Chaplin in 1992, directed by Richard Attenborough. And by Restoration 95 was kind of i think deep in his own demons to some degree in a lot of stuff but maybe gaining that reputation of hey this guy he's a little on the edge here um and then you kind of see the career start to taper he starts playing you know not immediate leads he's in u.s marshals where he's the third lead right stuff like that late 90s um, you know, he's in, you know, kind of a lot of failures, including restoration. He's in a Neil uh, Jordan movie in the late 90s called In Dreams, which is an insane serial killer movie um, that does that nobody sees. And then by 2000, it's kind of all over, right? Like this is we're getting into he's about to be arrested. The drug abuse has gotten to a point where he can't control himself at all. He has a stint on Ally McBeal that earns him an Emmy and really, I think, helps the show. And he's hysterical in the show, actually, if you get a chance to watch that season that he's in. And then basically after that, there's a blank spot. Literally, if you look at his IMDb from 2000 to 03, he's not making anything. A couple short films, what have you, not making much. And that's because he was literally in jail. He was uninsurable. And this brings us to The Singing Detective. Um, Mel Gibson, who's also in this movie, has a cameo as a kind of kooky doctor. He's the guy who basically got this movie made. This is a passionate project of sorts for Mel. 
and Mel Gibson is the guy who vouched for Robert Downey Jr. They were not going to be able to make the movie with Downey Jr. as the star because no insurance company would insure him. They they were like, no, this guy's a, a disaster. He's ruined sets. He's been in jail. He's a disaster. No way. And because of Gibson, basically, you know, um, saying, no, 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 he's my guy. You know, there might have been a monetary uh, commitment as well. They are able to make the movie. Now, look, nobody sees the movie. It's directed by Keith Gordon. Yeah. It's based on, uh, you know, uh, there's a very famous BBC serial um, uh, from, a, I think, the 80s, I want to say. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Um, and this is a musical crime movie in which um, Robert Downey Jr. plays Dan Dark, who is a noir writer and... It's basically he's very badly burned. Is that right, Connor? Or he has a disease, right? He's like a skin disorder. Right, right, right. right. Sorry. And he's basically, uh, I mean, the makeup's really good in this movie because it's disgusting. Like he, like he, he at one point refers to himself as a human pizza. Um, And um, yeah, he basically it has been going like insane. He's been losing movement, and you know has been confined to a wheelchair. Uh, because of this this skin dis- disease uh, that is all over his body, and um, essentially starts getting paranoid and is sort of forced to face his demons, and they're kind of he's working through it by trapping himself in this world of his you know his film noir pulp fiction, right? So, um, it's a little bit. It's like kind. It's like sort of like uh, delirious. A yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like that. It's kind of um, like that. It's it's I. So you're saying you basically like this, right? I will. I'll tell you yeah, this. I, I I really like this movie. I, yeah. I, I think this is a super underrated. I mean, it's tonally all over the place, and that's one of the things I really like about it. It's you have a lot of people in it. You have, you know, we said Robert Downey Jr. leading it. You have Mel Gibson in a glorified cameo. You have Katie Holmes, Adrian Brody. You have Robin yep. Wright. You have Carlo. Gugino in kind of an insane role. I think she plays uh, Dan Dark's mom. Um, And yeah, he's basically dealing with his childhood trauma and otherwise through imagined scenarios from his own novel, The Singing Detective, in which he's playing the detective. And he is, in fact, singing. And he, well, well, he's not singing, I guess. Robert Downey Jr. is not singing, but. Yeah, yeah, that that's like the, one of the funny things I was thinking about while while watching this is I was like, why didn't they just like? I mean, I guess obviously because maybe it would have been more expensive to like record. Co- it, you know, there are all these like '40s and '50s songs that pop pop their way in there, and um, it's all lip synced with you know the original tracks and stuff. And I'm like, why not just have him sing it? He's a good, he's got a good voice. You know, it's just uh, which I thought was a little weird, but. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think he's really good. I think one of the things I really think is interesting about this movie, especially to kind of put it in the context of what you see him do now over the course of his tenure playing Iron Man, is he flexes a lot of the same muscles, right? Like <clears throat> the, the snarkiness with like, uh, I mean, I don't even want to say charm because he's, I mean, Dan Dark is like thoroughly unlikable um in this movie 
but I think that there's that just that you know the quick witted and snappiness um, that you see ultimately get poured into something like Tony Stark. Uh, I think I think is on display here, but I think to to a better degree, I think he's allowed to do a little bit more with it because he's also like a dude who's on you know just on the brink of insanity of like pure insanity. Um, I think it's a really good performance. Yeah, I was gonna say I think when you think about how Mel vouched for Robert Downey Jr. to do this movie, it makes a lot of sense when you watch it because who else could have juggled the tones in this movie? I mean, yeah, right. he. He like hates women in this movie, right? That's a big part yeah. of the movie, and and it, I mean, they do not pull punches, and it's no, it is to the point where it's a little hard to watch at times. That being said, this is a man in this very particular and particularly horrible situation who you do, or at least I did, feel for in in the way he portrays him. So that's a very specific ability that someone like Robert Downey Jr. um, really brings to the table. And I think it's interesting. I was listening uh, to a bit of commentary about Doctor Strange recently. And it was that reminder that, you know, when you watch Doctor Strange um, with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, it's basically another version of Tony Stark, right? He's a shitty guy, egotistical doctor in this case. But he's way less charming. But it's because it's Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah. and that's nothing right. against Benedict Cumberbatch. That guy is a very fine actor, but he is not he's not Robert Downey Jr., which is to say, you know, and we all said this when, when Iron Man came out. Robert Downey Jr. was born to play Tony Stark. He was born to play a lot of other roles, but he his encapsulation of that dichotomy of ego, of assholishness, and then pathos and understanding is so specific and so few people can do it. And I think that's why when we talk about how many chances he got, um, that's one of many reasons because he has that ability and it really comes through in a big way in the singing detective because he's playing to the, to the rafters. I mean, it's, it's a big performance. Um, And let me just say the name of the Robert Downey Jr. Marissa Tomei rom-com is only you and right. I was I was yep. like on the yeah. It's one of those it could have be it could be the title of any rom-com. And um Billy Zane is also in it. So shout out to our Billy Zane heads out there. Um <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I really ride for the singing detective and I'll say of the of the three we're going to talk about on this first uh uh episode and then the three additional uh after we've seen Endgame. This is probably my favorite or a close second. Um, and to the singing, Connor, it's funny you brought up him singing. It's almost like we talked about this before we recorded because... Yeah, it's like we planned this. It's almost that. like we kind of do our <laughs> research. It's funny because only a year after this movie comes out and nobody sees it, um, Mr. Robert Downey Jr. releases a solo album, a kind of a jazz album in w- called The Futurist, uh, in which Robert Downey Jr. himself sings. And I'll say this... There's a long history of semi-embarrassing, you know, music albums by actors who should have known better. Eddie Murphy, Bruce Willis, what have you. This is not that embarrassing. There are a couple of songs on The Futurist that I really, really enjoy, if I'm being very honest. In love with a broken heart 
And uh, it also allows for a kind of funny moment in Civil War where Jeremy Renner makes a dig at the Futurist in referencing Tony Stark and calling him the Futurist. The Futurist, gentlemen. The Futurist is here. He sees all. He knows what's best for you. Yeah, I mean it's kind of a it's kind of a pity he doesn't he doesn't get the chance to flex those singing muscles here. Um but uh but it is. I, I want to ask you, like, what do you think of uh, what do you think of Gibson in this movie? Not, I, not to you know, this isn't about him, but uh, I just, I kind of was going back and forth on him a little bit. It's like he's, you know, obviously he's chewing it up a little bit and he's having fun. Yeah, that I like ball, him. His his uh, ball cap is a little tough. I think it's supposed to be silly. I think the bald cap's supposed to be ridiculous, like part of it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that in this movie. I mean, I think. This is a weird time in Gibson's career. You know, little does he know, of course, it's basically it's a, over. Right? right, right. You know, he's just made Signs, which was his biggest hit in 02 of his right. career, but really his last hit as well as a leading man. But right around the same time, he is experimenting, right? He's also in um, Vim Vendors' Million Dollar Hotel. Which is a oh, super- he's the hunch. He's like the hunchback detective. Yeah, right? which is I yeah. is another kind of, you know, hybrid noir picture based on yeah. other art that I think's super underrated. It's basically a movie. I like that movie. Yeah, it's basically a movie in which they take a bunch of well-known Edward Hopper uh, paintings, and Edward Hopper is is one of my favorites, um, and. They basically make a movie around those images, and they kind of recreate the images in the movie. Um, I think Bono does the score. Um, you have like Mila Jovovich in there. You have um, Jeremy Davies up? in there. Oh, you think it is Davies? Yeah, you think it is Davies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this is part of that. I think where Gibson's got Icon Productions. You know, he he he's only just made payback a few years before, which, you know, kind of a little bit of an outside the box, you know, uh, movie for him in which, you know, one of my favorite taglines in any movie ever, get ready to root for the bad guy. So I think this is just nice to watch when you think about Gibson because he's trying things and it's at a point in his career where he could. And now you're at sure. this point where, you know, I guess rightfully so. I mean, he he's limited in what he can do. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But um so I think for me it's almost nostalgic in that way. Um I think um Robin Wright is interesting in it. I think you're kind of what I like one of the things I was thinking of about I don't love her, her in it, but yeah. She's I think she's fine in it. I just think that uh and this is nothing on her, like I think she gives a fine performance. I almost feel it I mean it's smart to leverage someone like her because I think this movie, because of Dan Dark's paranoia, so Robin Wright is his wife in the movie, um, who uh, who he is essentially like, you know, internalizing. He's like conflating his relationship with her, also with his like mother's infidelity and his relationship with his mother. There's like a lot to unpack there. Um, but he also has this sort of paranoia that Robin Wright, and this is part of his like internal fan... Not, I don't want to say fantasy, but his internal, you know, the the sort of noir half of this movie um, that Robin Wright is, you know, m- like maybe trying to steal the rights from his novel singing detective out from under him to like make a screenplay and make a lot of money. 
and he is uh you know they do this kind of nice bit of casting where the character that robin wright is conspiring with is the same dude that carla godino cheats on robert downey jr's father with like it's this whole interesting thing but using robin wright in that mode where she's both like femme fatale and just like this in the real world this woman who's worried about him and is concerned right and is also kind of fed up with his bullshit because he's a terrible person yeah Um, i just the movie doesn't give her enough to do you know no not not at all but i do think credit to her yeah she's she's so good at both of those speeds that like it, it there's this automatic thing you slip into where when they're having those conversations in the real world, you're like, yeah, I don't know. She seems super smart and great. And what is she even doing here? She should probably just leave him. Right. But she feels bad for him because he's in this like terrible predicament. And I think it's important only because it's it it helps you ease into to RDJ because at that in the earlier half of the movie, he is such an unlikable piece of shit um, that it, I, I, it helps with the sympathy, I think. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's smart casting. Yeah, I, I agree with that. One shout out I'll make. Um, Amy Aquino is in this movie. She's a character actress you would recognize. You would know her uh, by her face. She plays uh, Nurse Noski in the movie and um, is very good in a limited role, you know, as per usual. And I shout her out uh, partly because I'm currently watching the new season of Bosch on Amazon Prime <laughs> and she's in it and she's been in all of the Boshes and she's really good in that show as she's really good in The Singing Detective. Amazon, I'd like you to take a minute and just thank Dan Mecca, the one person. No, one a lot of people of watch. Bosch. A lot of people watch Bosch. And weirdly, my mom How takes many Bosch care. Heads? How many Bosch heads are there? There's been Are you part of, of the Bosch pit? There's, there's been... <laughs> I'm a big... I'm right in the middle of the Bosch pit, dude. The Bosch pit? And okay. I'll say this. Weirdly enough, my mom, Julie Mecca, who hopefully will have her on a Mother's Day podcast about the one and only Meg Ryan soon... Um, she takes care of a therapy dog from her work whose name oh is Bosch. Bosch, yeah. It's and fake. he also loves the show, Bosch, <laughs> and the actress, Amy Aquino. All right, now, what are we talking about next? Moving on, we're going to get to our, talk- next oh, event, our next Avenger, Let's the skip first it. Avenger. Let's skip this one. <laughs> skip it. It's so bad, dude. Um, I saw this movie gonna- in theaters my friend we're going to chris evans yes we are uh and to a certain degree scarlett johansson uh i mean yeah it's both i mean they're both yeah it's there i mean it's part of the reason we picked it yeah it's the twofer uh it's the perfect score from from 04 uh it's an mtv film it is such an mtv film yeah you know and i forgot how much of an mtv film like the needle drops there you have like and granted like not to compare outside of the fact that they're both mtv movies like I really like Orange County. I think it's a pretty underrated comedy. Right, agree, agree, agree. I think it holds up. It's very funny. Um, yeah, watching this made me want to rewatch Orange County. Actually, right, but you can see the through line. You can see the thing that the things that they had is like these like bad habits because Orange County has them too, like sort of unnecessary needle drops. But Orange County is such a broader comedy that like it just works and, and, it, shor- and, it works and really well. shorter. This is well, short right. too, but I think Orange County is even a little. I think it, you know they're both basically ninety, but this one feels so much longer. Basically, it's look. I'll say this. Um, one of the first things I thought as as the movie kind of really kicked in, there must be a good version of this script somewhere. This well, feels there are, there are better versions of this movie. Well, like, but I mean, just just this this literal like idea is a great. Yeah. I, hey, I get why someone buys this pitch. It's, right. it's literally it's basically... Breakfast Club 
meets you know any oceans movie right, right. it's, it's like these a heist kids, movie these they kids try to... trying to steal the sat answers yeah yeah exactly and so great it's, idea. i mean great idea no no, no. i think it's a, i think it's a, a solid idea i think it's that they just they don't you know a big part of these types of movies right not unlike not unlike you know an avengers movie is the team right is you need like a varied enough group of actors that are all fun to watch together that all yeah. seem to bring something to the table. And even in just like the bare dynamics of a heist film, this movie fails because like, well, you yeah, in, you bring in the breakfast club type thing of like, you have all the types, right? Like you have Evans, just the straight laced milk toast, white dude. Right. And then you have, uh, who is the one tree hill gentleman? Who is his friend? I don't know. Was he? Is it's that's Brian Greenberg. I don't know. Was he in yes, One Tree Brian Hill? Brian Greenberg. Yes, he was in One Tree Hill. Oh, I, see, only that's because I was I was watching it with with my girlfriend, and while we were watching it, she was like, "What the fuck is that dude from?" See, I I, like, I actually, we like rattled off shows. One of my first PA gigs, I worked on a Brian Greenberg starring indie movie, um, and he was How super that nice. Uh, that's nice. Yeah, and and he actually was the star of a show that I really enjoyed many years ago called October Road, which is oh. a which is about a dude who writes a novel all about his upbringing and his childhood and his neighborhood and all of his friends and family, and it becomes a big hit. And then he goes back home, and everybody hates him because he, like, you know, basically just, like, you know. So it's like the just, best man. Yeah, I mean, it, it's well, it's after the best man, but yeah, it's basically right. like a ABC hour long drama version of the best man. And like Laura Prepon is the the girl, you know, the girl that got away who stayed home, and he comes back. And I always like that show. Anyway, Brian Greenberg, yeah, he's like Chris Evans's loser best friend, um, who's got a girlfriend in Maryland, and Chris Evans wants to be an architect. And Scarlett Johansson is like a hacker chick who's the rich. The rich dude is like she's the rich girl, but she's also a hacker. Well, she's not the hacker. The stoner is the hacker. Yeah, I guess. So, but Le- it's like Leonardo if you combine Mann. the Ali Sheedy and yeah. Molly Ringwald character, kind of. Yeah, Erica Christensen's kind of like the Molly, the Ringwald-y Molly Ringwald right. character. And so Leonardo Nam, who you're talking about, he's Roy, who's the stoner, who yeah. narrates the movie. And look, I'll say this: Leonardo Nam, very good in Westworld, has gone yeah. on to have a good career. Uh, this is not one of his better performances. No, it's tough, dude. And he narrates the whole movie, so it's like it is tough. It's just that narration hard, is hard to deal with. Yeah, you know dude. the needle drops, the narration, the weird oogling moments of Scarlett Johansson, oh, God. who must I, have been nineteen, by the way, when they filmed she, this. Which yeah, just she hurts was like to think about. Yeah, she was like nineteen or twenty, which on its own is just gross, and like. It's also technically gross in the context of the movie because in the context of the movie, she'd be even younger. You know, she'd be like 17. It's it's just all outside of just being gross on its face anyway. I don't know. It's it's real. Like they just l- shots that linger. There's also in I this think the movie, intro shot is between her legs. It's her underwear. It's literally her underwear. Yeah, yeah not great. Like she's st- yeah, it's fucking gross. And then, they, you know, Wait, they, so, hang I've, on, Connor. Do you know who directed this movie? We have talked about movies that this director has directed before uh is it brian robbins brian robbins yeah and what can you guess he made a movie right before this movie that we talked about in one of our very first b-side episodes 
Oh, it's no, actually I don't know. it's actually the guy who inspired this whole podcast. All right, oh. time is gonna be up and tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. I don't know. It's who is it? Keanu Reeves, who's in a movie called Hardball, directed by oh, Brian, Brian Robbins. Fucking Robbins, we talked. Yeah, wow. Hardball, baby, in which a gambling addict makes a bet, and because he wins, he is achieves his dreams, which is a very weird way to end a gambling movie. But that yeah, because it's they... not at all a thing that yeah. keeps coming back, and it's not at all a disease or anything like that. Now, yeah, yeah so this movie, uh, The Perfect Score, it's not very tense. It's not overly exciting. There's like, oh. they, they dip into like the socio political implications of a standardized test in the world that's of That's like public the best. High that's, the first like five minutes is maybe the best of the movie. Right? Uh, no, no, no. Like... I'm going to tell you what the best is. This is my big takeaway. You ready for this? <laughs> go, go. Best performance. You know who it is? Darius Miles? No. Matthew Lillard. Matthew oh, Lillard. Oh, see, here's the thing. Matthew Lillard say, is Chris no. Evans' older fuck-up brother. Yeah. Here was what I came away with, okay? Because Matthew Lillard's gone on to like direct an interesting movie and be good in movies like The Descendants. Did we all kind of sleep on Matthew Lillard? Did he kind Quite of- possibly, yeah. Did he kind of get caught up in the Freddie Prince Jr. of it all and then- you know, only now or, or, you know, only in the last few years are we kind of realizing we had a pretty interesting character actor who got caught up in, you know, the summer catches and the right. wing commanders and kind of never came out from under it. I mean, because even in the Scooby-Doo movies, he's fun as Shaggy. I think he just, it seems like he was a dude who, like, hedged his bets because he assumed that Freddie Prince Jr. was going to become, you know, a Tom Cruise or something like that. And... uh and it just didn't work out. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'll i say this. I think And even, like, scene... the studio probably hedged their bets as well. Yeah, of course, of course. And I think his scene with Evans near the end of the movie is, is nice. I think that Great speaks speaks more to what you're talking about. Because yeah. I will say the, the first half of this movie where he pops up and he's kind of like the comic relief, I was like, they're trying to, like, Jack Black him. Like, like, like what Jack Black is in... In Orange County, he's kind of like Peter um, Fascinelli in um, "Can't Hardly Wait." You know, yes, there's a lot that is of a better, that. That's a yeah, that's a way better comparison. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it, he's, I mean, he's he's fine. That this movie is basically like the you know the chemtrails of those of you know your "Can't Hardly Wait." <laughs> yeah. Your uh, your ten things I hate about yous. You know what I mean? It just kind of never really finds its own voice. And look, Chris Evans. He's young. He's not great. He's, you know, you can see the potential in the movie. Sure. I think this yeah. is the same year he's in Cellular, which I think he does a little bit of a better job kind of leading a movie. That's a more fun movie, good kind of a semi-engaging action movie with him and Jason Statham and Kim Basinger. Um, so, you know, I think he's finding his stride. I mean, people forget what's funny about Chris Evans is he literally got his start spoofing people who looked like him in right. not another teen movie. So it's kind of a weird beginning for him because he almost starts, I mean, not almost, he starts as a joke, literally, and then has to kind of retrofit a proper career that he kind of does. I mean, you know, you you think about him now when he's, you, like you said before, one of the most engaging, endearing parts of Endgame, or Endgame, of, uh, of Avengers in general, and I would assume Endgame, and I guess we'll revisit that on the next one, but... Yeah, and I think, I mean, yeah, I just think he's, 
like you said, and I thought this while I was watching it, is like you can you can see the the beginnings of what somebody would maybe see as a movie star. Um, I just think this movie just doesn't. There's just a lot of weird basic, like even just the basic rules of a heist movie. It doesn't really follow. Like they come up with a plan, and obviously they have to break from the plan. But even when they're coming up with the plan, you're not entirely sure. Like, well, and, what said, and the even plan fundamentally, is. it's too easy. Like, and then it becomes yeah. it becomes not easy, I guess. But basically, like Scarlett Johansson's father owns the company, right, or something like that. Like, works right. for the and company, that's, so that's like a she has yeah. access to it. And right. one thing that's interesting is Darius Miles in the movie. One of his only acting credits. He was an NBA basketball player. He was one of the highest draft draft picks of his year when he was drafted. Um, he played for the Clippers. He played for a couple other teams. He never the really Blazers, hit. I think too. Yeah. In, yeah, he never really hit as a basketball player. He wasn't a he wasn't a bust necessarily. He wasn't like one of the biggest NBA busts, but it was he was a disappointment. And what's funny, and me and you were talking about this ahead of the podcast. In this movie, he's a basketball player who needs to get a certain score on the SAT to be able to get into St. John's so that he can then hopefully get drafted from college into the NBA. And he makes a comment about, you know, his knee and worried about getting hurt and how his mom still wanted him to go to school. In real life, Darius Miles ended up retiring from the NBA because he hurt his knee. Yeah, in like 2008, yeah. I believe, right around there. And it's just so funny. He has this, it's this whole bit where he's like, oh, I could just go into the NBA and if I get hurt, I get at least paid out for a four-year contract, right? But it's like, if I go and I play college ball and I get hurt, I get nothing, right? And you're kind of like, okay, well, sure. But yeah, the fact that that really happened to him is fucking insane. I'm just glad he got that NBA money. You know, he did get that yeah, NBA course. money. Yeah, of course. Of um, course. All because of the perfect score. The... Yeah, I mean, I think there's also a really, there's a moment, there are a lot of like little moments in this movie where, you know, things go through characters' heads, big, you know, broad jokes that play out, right, of like what might actually happen or whatever. And while they're going through the heist and they're kind of going in through each of their brains of like what they're envisioning might happen, they we get to Scarlett Johansson where they talk about her having to like get past the guards and what she, this like imaginary thing she thinks of in her head is this very like, to the T, but like elaborate spoof on the Matrix, where they like recreate the whole Trinity introduction from the Matrix, where like the guard reaches or the cop reaches for her hand, and she and they do like the choreography and everything. And I couldn't help but think like, you, you spend money on this? Like this is like the broadest joke possible. There was a lot of that back then. There was a lot it's of insane Matrix, you know, references. I mean, people. That was, you know, 20 years later, that was, you know, such an unbelievable inflection point. So, so, so like, I get that, but it was like, it went yeah. like beyond, like, it's not like she just, it's not like they spoof bullet time or something. They do do that, by the way. But it's that they like go out of their way to like make her hair look like Carrie Ann Moss. They put her in the suit, which is, I mean, she basically looks like Black Widow, right? Um, which is kind of funny, <laughs> but like, and then they do this whole thing, and I just was flabbergasted by it. I was like, what? They spent money on this. Like, there was a whole shoot day probably dedicated to this. Like, this is insane. Um, I'll say this. One of the screenwriters of this movie, um, he gave us a little movie called Out Cold, which I have a soft spot for. Which is I li- That movie's better than this movie. Which is basically Casablanca with uh, ski and snowboard bums, which is uh, its own funny uh, thing. 
I will say this, and this will be my last thing on this movie, The Perfect Score, directed by Brian Robbins. The other great part about this movie is the Ataris are mentioned. The band, the Ataris, <laughs> are mentioned in this movie. And then the the final song is their song, In This Diary, where they have that line, being grown up isn't half as good as growing up. And we should definitely, if we have any respect for ourselves, put a clip from that song right here. Um, Yeah, there, I mean, there are a lot of like throwback needle drops in this movie, for sure. Like there are definitely moments that I was like, oh God, there's that song. I, um, yeah, I mean, I just think basically this movie doesn't work. Uh, I mean, we don't have to kind of keep. It didn't make a lot of money. I mean, I think ten million domestic um, came and went. You know, cost I think like twenty or thirty. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It, it definitely lost some some people some money. I mean, you know, it was it was like it was a hybrid thing. It feels like I said before, it feels like a movie that got studio noted or you know, um, yeah, exactly. You know, it got uh, screen tested to death to some degree. You know, it kind of cuts that way a little bit. Um, you know, with the narration, it feels like that. You know, yeah, you know, Erica Christensen and Brian Greenberg, it's interesting to watch them in this movie because you think to yourself, they were right there with Evans and, you know, Johansson right at the beginning. And they've all gone on to have very great careers. So you can't really feel bad for any of them. And, you know, and not to forget, obviously, Leonardo Nam as well. Darius Miles, as, as obviously, as we mentioned, went on to play NBA. But it's just funny to think about the movie stars that came out of it and how, you know, you're watching it at this beginning and how Evans would really get so much better, even in three years. The performance right. he gives in Sunshine, uh, the like Danny Boyle film, actor. is just it's a not, different actor. It really yeah, is. He's not it's the same unbelievable. Because he's yeah. playing a similar... like. Not a similar character to this character, but he's playing, you know, a version of Johnny Storm, you know, which he he would do in the fantastic his first superhero, uh, you know, thing in the in the those two uh, Tim Story movies, the Fantastic Four movies. He's playing a cocksure character in Sunshine, but with so much more going on, and obviously Scarlett Johansson would would find her flow, you know, and 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 now is really just does a lot of things really well, I'd say. Yeah, and I think I mean you know you can see, and we could you know we'll we'll use this as a kind of a segue, but I think like even her in this movie, right? Even though this movie's not very good, perfect score, like it, you know, she's got spunk, and you can see how somebody could be like, oh yeah, this girl's got it, right? Like there's there's like something here. For yeah, sure. totally. She's the best uh, of the six. I mean, she's no Matthew Lillard in it, but she's definitely of, the yeah, best. Like of a few the six. people are. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, she she gives the best performance for sure. But yeah, and then you get to something like The Nanny Diaries in 07 um, with also both both of them, right? Evans and... Yeah, except uh, in this one, and it's, I guess, a little bit of a spoiler for the perfect score in this one, they're romantic, they're, they're romantic partners in this one. Right, right, because perfect, yeah, because perfect score They pair them off, they pair them off Matt, differently. Yeah, yeah, Matthew Greenberg. I will say the uh, whole... Brian thing, Greenberg, bro? Come on. Oh, sorry, sorry. His name is Matthew in the thing, right? I, let, I think his name well, who is... Gives it? I think his who name is Matt Matthews, actually, or yeah, something like that. his name is Matt White Guy. Um, 
No, but he there the real quick. There's a moment in the, near the end of that movie where he spoilers for the perfect score. He they like they're needing to get out of the building because they've been there all night basically, and he winds up taking the fall so that yeah. everybody else can escape and it makes no sense because her and it's her that's lagging behind Scarlett right? Johansson yeah yeah and he you know he's he's fallen for her so he decides to like take the fall for her and whatever and it makes no sense because her dad owns the building so it, of any of the people that are there it makes the most sense that she would be there, right? She has right, a terrible she could, relationship she with her said, father. Oh, hey, oh, I just I came here, here to whatever. To, yeah, exactly. And she's not going to get in trouble. Her dad's not going to press charges or whatever. It's not going to matter. And yet, like, fucking Greenberg, like a schmo, just, like, gets <laughs> nabbed fake stealing a computer. And I love that the movie, like, he spends a night in jail. They take the SATs the next day or whatever. And, like, but that dude's still got to go to court. You know what I mean? It's like that dude's still yeah, gonna get. It's gonna try, be on you know? his record. You know what I mean? Right, it's not going right. away. And they they like blow past it. They're like, well, he did some probation and blow it helped him. Like, it helped it's, him. Yeah, it's so stupid. Anyway, whatever. God, let's go to a much better movie. Nope. The Nanny Diaries. No right? sir. No sir. Yeah. <laughs> I would say weirdly, I would swap the the kind of performance criticisms in this one, and I would say Scarlett Johansson looks a little lost here. And, and Chris Evans, Evans it. it feels like he's just kind of naturally yeah. fit for the role. He sucks, though. Not his perf- his performance is fine. The character, his, his character, kind of sucks. We'll get to it. Well, but his character's kinda... name, of course, is Harvard Hottie. So this this yeah. movie, The Nanny Diaries, it's based on the novel of the same name. Um, it came out in a time, listener, where people were really hype on the devil wears. Prada. And and rightfully so. Devil Wears Prada is a very fun movie. It's a very good movie. I mean, I think often nowadays when you think of it, a lot of people kind of might just think of Meryl Streep in the performance, but truly there's a lot going on there. I think as a big studio movie, it's, it's really kind of engaged and um, Doing a lot of cool things, and Stanley Tucci is giving an amazing supporting performance, and and Hathaway, you know, kind of extends her stardom while Emily Blunt be- literally becomes a star in front of your eyes. So there's a lot to like about um, Devil Wears Prada. Nanny Diaries feels like the natural next thing a studio would make in response to the success of the Devil Wears Prada. It's basically a college grad uh, moves to Manhattan. And by by happenstance, is mistaken to be a nanny because her name is Annie. That's literally why it happens. Yeah, it's tough. And she becomes, you know, in a matter of no time, a the nanny of this high profile hoity-toit Manhattan family. Um, and she doesn't name the people in her story, you know, which I I've not read the book, but I assume is part of the book. So. You have Laura Linney and Paul Giamatti as the mother and father of this little kid who's got this insane name, Grayer. It's 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 like yeah, it's, it's like G R yeah, but it's spelled G R A Y E A Y E R Grayer 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 like the cheese. Grayer. I mean, they're they are big onto like him being like him speaking French and shit. And but. so, um, Linney is Mrs. X and Paul Giamatti is Mr. X. And um, in their building, 
there is a young man who um Scarlett Johansson whose name once again his name her name is Annie um she refers to him as the Harvard hottie it's narrated like a field diary exactly like and, like and the, the whole, opening yeah, like, is like um uh, the natural history museum but yeah. it's like new york uh stereotypes yeah you know yeah, yeah. and um you know but like it's it's very cute they it, do it do a lot yeah, of yeah like, i mean that's what they're going for they're things. going yeah. for like a literal book to movie translation yeah this is a weird part of Scarlett Johansson's career so she makes lost in Tran- lost in translation and uh girl with the pearl earring the same year in 03 and she really hits, right? This is after Ghost World, after The Horse Whisperer, right? Like, she was a kid. After actress, Home Alone 3. After Home Alone 3, of course. <laughs> who could forget? With Alex D. Lenz. And um, she's she hits big in 03. And it's like, who's this? Y- I mean, and literally so young. I mean, before, you know, pre-20. Like, she's a teenager. Who is this girl? You know, uh, Lost in Translation. That's one thing about Lost in Translation. I don't want to get too into it. That's a little tough in hindsight. She's so young, and he is so old in that movie. Yeah, it's, it's just it's fine. I, I mean, love they that never movie. get they never. Nothing I know, like, I know. You know, so it kind of still feels it's all just, right. But yeah, it's, it's just line, you kind of you kind of forget. Like when I was looking yeah. at how old Scarlett Johansson actually is, I was like, they were making this. She was eighteen. They, they were going yeah. to bars, and people were like, I mean, I guess I don't know. They filmed it in uh, in Japan, so maybe not. Anyway. Um, <laughs> 07's a weird time I think the world is still trying to figure out what kind of movie star Scarlett Johansson is and I think the Nanny Diaries is a great example of her trying things and not really succeeding I mean you have her as the straight up lead in this like Connor said cute movie that has a lot to say but really doesn't say anything well yeah Um. and yeah it just never finds it's it never. I was kind of waiting for it to find its groove, and I was kind of with it. And then at some point, I just was kind of like, "No, like this is not yeah. the way you do this." It just, you know, I was never. I guess she. Part of it, she never. I don't know. I, I. I wish I. I never felt overly bad for her, which I suppose is its own kind of thing you have to deal with. Yeah, that that's a huge problem. Is that like she. It's just weird. And granted, like, look, like a lot of the a lot of movies like this, because she the whole thing is she lies to her mom about being a nanny. Her mom's like a nurse. Right. And her mom basically put her through college and like wanted her to get this great job and whatever. And now she's this nanny. So she's keeping it a secret. And Alicia Keys is her best friend. Oh, boo hoo. Right. And um, the it's just a little weird because every situation she's in, I think. And I guess maybe this is also, you know, you're also looking at a 2007 movie from a 2019 lens, right? But, like, I'm, you know, her mom makes this comment near the beginning of the movie when she goes to move in with Laura Linney and Paul Giamatti, not knowing where she's going. She's like, well, why don't you just stay? I thought you were just going to live here for a minute. And it's like, yeah, do that. Like, Landa, you know what I mean? Like, live at home for a minute. Yeah, totally I mean. Totally fine. Like, that part of it I got, it, though. I mean, you know, you want to get out. I mean, look, I was a kid. Yeah. Me and you both. We were kids yeah. who were from, you know, we're from suburbs, basically, you know, in train distance of New York City. And I, I yeah, when I came back from film school and, 
was working at my old diner, living at my parents' house. That sucked. I mean, I you know, I I dreamed of of getting down to Manhattan and starting to work on movies. So that part of it, I'll roll with. It's I, just, I get it's it. just, it's just what's hard with these movies is a big part of it is is predicated on a lie, and it's a lie that does no good. I mean, you're lying yeah, to your mom yeah. for what reason? I mean, you're 22. What are we talking about? Like. You're right. a nanny. It's like what are we? It's not the end of the world here. You know what I mean? Right. Or how old is, she is. But you know? I will say the movie weirdly sticks to its guns in that regard, though. But still makes no sense because when her mom ultimately finds out, she is like mad at her, and not just mad that she lied to her. She kind of was like, she says like, "Call me when this phase of your life is over." And I'm kind of like, bitch. Like she's just making. My, I don't know. Insane. Like, Insane. Like you're like. What are you doing, Mom? Yeah, it's so weird. Now dude. let me it's just so now let me just quickly bring it back out for a minute. Sure. I'm looking at the IMDb here. So, O five, you have Match Point, where she's basically kind of the the other woman. You know, I think it's her first collaboration with Woody Allen. Uh, I'm a big fan of that movie. Um, so that's an interesting moment for her. I think you know, uh, right before that, uh, in O four, she's in a bunch of movies, including The Perfect Score. Uh, I love a love song for Bobby Long with Travolta, uh, a movie called A Good Woman with Helen Hunt, I believe, and a movie I really like called In Good Company with uh, Topher Grace and Dennis Quaid, which is kind of like yeah, a that rom-com. Yeah, that movie's nice. That and movie's then, nice. yeah, and then in 05, she's in a Michael Bay movie called The Island, sneakily one of Michael Bay's best movies, at least the first the half of it. Fir- yeah. yeah, the first half of that movie is really good. Um, but this is kind of what I'm talking about. She's trying things. She's in another Woody Allen movie, Scoop, probably one of Woody Allen's worst movies, um, with Hugh Jackman in 06. The Black Dahlia, which we've talked about, where she's yeah. truly awful. Um, yeah, it's and bad. It's we talked about that, I think, only last episode. And then also in 06, she's in The Prestige, but she's really not very good in it. She's kind of got that tough accent. You know, she's trying stuff, but it's not really hitting. And then 07 is Nanny Diaries. 08 is the other Bolin girl. I think after that, it starts to make sense. Vicky Christina in 08, Iron Man 2 uh, in 2010. And then it all kind of starts to come together, partly in thanks, of course, to the MCU. I think you would be remiss not to say that. I think in finding her Black Widow, the rest of her career kind of comes into uh, focus. So... Yeah, I mean, she's definitely someone, the minute she enters, even though she's in that Iron Man 2 movie and that's a tough intro, it ultimately does a lot for her, um, you know, you know, actually in terms of box office, but also creatively. She does a lot of cool things after that. So this is that time period where she's, it's, it's before that. So, you know, yeah, I mean, look, the kid actor in this, um, it's hard when you're talking yeah. about kid performances, he he he. I think he leaves a little bit to be desired here. Alicia Keys is playing uh, the best friend, and I wish we had a little bit more of her in the movie. Um, Nate Cordry's in it for a bit as I think like the gay best friend. Uh, essentially, he's also funny. Uh, in he's, the couple yeah, scenes he's he's, he's Alicia Keys's uh, like right, right, yeah, yeah. And so I don't know that it just hits a lot of familiar beats, and then when it's unfamiliar. It's just, it's mean. It's like, that's the other part of it. It's like Laura Linney's giving a a weirdly good, complex performance. Yeah. But the movie's never fully on her side or it never feels like it's overly sympathizing with her either. Like, and I guess maybe that's 
what they're trying to point out is that like a mean person is a mean person is a mean person, right? Like there's not really yeah. justification for it. But then there are also moments where you feel this like hurt people, hurt people thing. So it's kind of trying to do both and not really succeeding at either. And like Paul Giamatti in this movie, straight up Bond villain. Like literally yeah, like so the, broad. Like he so has broad. these insane yeah. contacts. Like he's literally wearing these insane like icy blue contacts. He looks literally like a Bond villain. Like, you're like, yeah, this is the most evil man who's ever been alive. Yeah, he, it's, I don't know. There, I mean, and granted, like, obviously the movie, you know, it's a, I don't it is a broad comedy and it's meant to kind of like play, play this sort of narrative through characters, right? So the fact that Laura Linney is the way that she is and Paul Giamatti is the way he is, the movie kind of gets away with it and I think that's fine. Um, I think at, to bring it to Evans really quickly, like like you were saying, like I mean, he's I think he's giving a, a more tuned in performance than Scarlett Johansson is. He's he has less to do, so I think that's part of it too. He doesn't have to stretch too far. No, um, but his character is also just kind of tough. And maybe this is sort of also what I was thinking about of like the you know the 2007 movie through a 2019 lens is just like they're they're out they're having the date and he just like first off the dude just. I mean, like, it is kind of funny. The dude, like, can't take a hint. And granted, the only reason we're okay with him not taking a hint is because her and her monologue is telling us that she's actually attracted to him, right? But then they go on this date, and he's, like, he, like, throws up his hands the minute she can't go spend the summer in the Hamptons with him. And you're kind of like, buddy, yeah, but I, the, like, But the context what? is that she's... It's not that she's not going to the Hamptons. It's that... She's going with this family yeah. that is like just poisoning her. You know, I guess so, so, but it's also her job. Like I, I don't know. There's like a part of me that I'm kind of. No, like, I oh. agree with you. I think yeah, the movie so never really gets to the nitty gritty of that. You know, it's directed by Sherry yeah. Springer Berman and Robert Polcini, who are very good directors. They made um, the HBO movie Cinema Verite. They made American Splendor, which also has Paul Giamatti. They made. Movie a couple years ago, Sunday's movie called Ten Thousand Saints with Ethan Hawke and uh, I think Haley Steinfeld's in that. I mean, they've made good movies. I think they, you know, they are very. You know, I hope they make movies forever. This is not. Uh, this is not one of their best moments, and I think they're just trying, you know, to work at this, you know, high entertainment, four quadrant type of world while also digging into the things they're interested in that are prior, I would imagine exist in the the book. Yeah. And it just doesn't congeal. And it's, I think it's part, on the I think verge part of, of like a scar- couple good thoughts. Yeah. And I think part of the problem, and this is, you know, you know, she would figure this out, but part of the problem is Scarlett Johansson. I think she never yeah. really takes control of the movie and, you know, she, and, you know, like Linny to me, is the memorable part of this movie. And that's because she's one of the, you know, greatest actresses alive. And also... You don't think she's also a little bit in cruise control, though? Like, she's playing the Laura Linney role. I don't I think, know. Like, a little she's bit. She's doing some interesting things in this movie. Like, she's really digging in in a way that I was not fully expecting. And then the, the only other thing I'd say is a nice thing in this movie, whether or not you like the Evans character, their chemistry, which really helps these MCU movies, especially in um, Winter Soldier, uh... It, this is the beginning of that. Like in Perfect Score, sure. they're not really given that chance, obviously. No, no. And um, and also, Scar Joe's just kind of wiping the floor with all the other kids. 
um, in this one, you see it. And it's nice because then it, you know, it expands to a, a really comfortable degree in the MCU movies and I think is really one of the most enduring relationships. And it's funny because in the world, if you remember the first Avengers, the Renner, uh, you know, the Hawkeye, Black Widow part of it yeah, is meant yeah. to be the enduring relationship. And if I had to pick the one of all of the relationships that Black Widow has, you know, it's uh that i care about it's her relationship with captain america 100 percent. so i think um i you know i would love to see the two of them and we'll you know we'll get to this uh next week when we kind of conclude and talk about where we want to see them all go but i would i would gladly watch the two of them in another movie where they get to play opposite each other that's you know not an mcu movie um i i think they've both evolved into like you know, very interesting actors in their own respects that I think they could do something, you know, really, really, really good there. I mean, I think of these three movies on our front half, I mean, I, you know, I think Singing Detective is just miles better than both of the other two. Um, yeah. Oh, no, no question about yeah, that. Like, no, no question. I even think, I mean, and, and you know, you're you're you'll be thanking us i guess in advance dear listeners but like this is this is the worst this gets right i think oh of the movies we're talking about yeah 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 Yeah, i think you know for sure perfect score and uh nanny diaries yeah i don't know are the worst ones yeah i don't know that we're gonna get much lower than that um yeah but you know to that end and we talk about this every time we record one of these it was nice watching them because you're kind of watching these actors these now kind of big you know personalities figure it out you know and that's kind of fun though laborious at times so (laughs) you know i think for that alone if you're interested in this subject matter it is kind of worth exploring um and yeah and then once again you know these two movies talking about them you know for the scarlett johansson chris evans friendship you know that prevails uh it's worth it in that regard so yeah, I think that's kind of what you can take away. And, of course, uh, the Ataris in this diary. You know, that, of course. Yes, of uh, also, course. I mean, who could forget? Yeah. Um, sad thing about the Ataris I always think about is their biggest song is the cover of Boys of Summer. That's always kind of right. a hard thing yep. that if you were a band to deal with in your kind of heart would be that that was the biggest song you had was a cover right, of, a, with of a Don Henley song. Anyway, yeah. um what else what this, else this was about? our infinity war we'll get to the end game um and uh yeah so on the next uh on the next half of this on part two we'll be uh we'll be going through ruffalo and renner and hemsworth we're going to be talking about the brothers bloom uh and uh kill the messenger and we're going to finish it out with uh the ron howard joint in the heart of the sea um yeah and I'm sure we'll also mention the other Ron Howard joint, Rush, which uh, Hemsworth is also in. I, l- I like Rush. Yeah, Rush dude, is Rush is great. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, All right, Connor, before the game ends, uh, you can find me, as always, at on Twitter at DJ Mecca. And I just – actually, I'll say this. I just wrote a review of a very cool documentary that I uh, just went up on the film stage a few days ago called Be Natural, which is a documentary about – uh, the female, uh, that really the first female filmmaker, Alice Guy Blaché, uh, in the early uh, late 1800s and early 1900s. History basically decided to forget her, partly because she was like 
we referenced it before, she was not a white male. So history right. decided to kind of uh, forget a bunch of her movies. This documentary uh, re kind of re-offers them, rediscovers them. And um, I highly recommend people seek it out. It's called Be Natural. Jodie Foster narrates. A lot of great filmmakers speak about Alice Guy and uh, all that she did really with the innovation of cinema with people like the Lumieres and Gamont and, uh, you know, you know, you know, all those people. So I, uh, wrote the review, love the movie, I highly recommend. And, uh, you can find me at DJ Mecca on Twitter. Yeah. And you, uh, you can find my byline occasionally on the film stage. You can find me on Twitter at scruffy looking. And I guess until next time, uh, there's no pit like the Bosch pit. (laughs) 